the question that I, I want to address tonight is, is very narrow, meaning there's a lot we could speak about in terms of, you know, where the Torah come from, and there's the written tradition and the oral tradition. There's a lot of different issues. But I want to focus on the most basic issue because we have limited time, and that is what exactly happened at Mount Sinai 3,300 years ago? In other words, is that mythology? Is that a real historical event? You know, what, what exactly happened? And the approach that I would like to take is uh, an academic approach. I would like to, to treat the question with you tonight in the same way that I treated it when I was in the university. So what we'll try to do is keep our feet very firmly on the ground and not take leaps of faith um, and just think very clearly and very carefully. Okay, now, the, 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 the discussion that we're about to have is not a simple discussion. Uh, you'll see that there are, are many moving parts and they fit very neatly together, but it's not, it's not simple and so you have to follow it each step of the way. Therefore, what I'm going to recommend is that uh, general questions or counter-argument wait until the end because I'll, I'll probably anticipate those questions. I've been lecturing this for more than 20 years. Um, but uh, if I say something that you don't understand or it doesn't seem to fit the previous step, so then stop me immediately so I can just make that connection so I don't lose you along the way. Okay. I'm going to start off with the broadest picture, which is a discussion of how religions start generally, or you could say, um, what is the credibility of religions generally? And again, I'm, I'm treating this as an academic topic, so uh, you know, please be open-minded with me. I'm not, I'm no way condemning any, any, any approach that anyone wants to take in life. I'm just doing a very calm analysis. When you look at any religion on the planet, and for my undergraduate degree, I studied about 165 major religious families that included thousands of sects and cults. What I discovered is that all religions on the planet begin when one or two people have some sort of transcendental experience, a revelation or some other sort of experience, and then those one or two people convey that experience to others who are very moved by the, by the revelation narrative, and then those people then follow them and access the wisdom through those one or two leaders. That's usually how religions get going. When you ask a religion, what do you have to offer? So every religion will describe various benefits that you'll get if you join that religion, and then you say, well, can I get those exact same benefits if I join that other religion? Instead of joining your religion, if I join that religion, will I get those benefits? So invariably, the, the the, the, the founders of the religion will tell you no. For example, if you accept Jesus, you'll be saved. So you ask a Christian, well, I'm not going to accept Jesus. I'm going to become a Hindu. Will I be saved? So the answer is no. I mean, that, you just have to be honest. The answer is no. And if you, if you become a Hindu, you'll gain control over certain aspects of nature. You can actually rise above the, the forces of nature and actually gain control over those forces of nature. And if you ask someone in a Hindu sect, tell them, you know, listen, I'm not going to become a Hindu. I decided instead I'm going to become a Jew. Will I gain control over nature in that way? And they'll honestly tell you no. You know, we have a unique technology here. And the same is true by every religion. Whatever, whatever benefits they grant you, Buddhism will grant you an unparalleled sense of oneness with the universe. You can, you can become essentially a deity. You can become, uh, achieve this essentially divine state of being B-U-D-D-H-A. And that 
that, that state of divinity cannot be achieved. You can't pass through the eighth stage of transic insight unless you, you actually follow the, the, the path that was laid out by Siddhartha Gautama. That's the only way to get there. So when you say to these people, well, listen, the, 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 the technology that you're offering, the system that you're, you're providing for me is obviously not obvious because if it was obvious everybody in the world would be doing this. So where did you get it? Then they will tell you their revelation narrative. And every religion has a revelation narrative and invariably the revelation narrative is one or two people have this experience and get everyone else to follow. I'm not gonna, because of limited time, I'm not gonna go through with you tonight, but I did bring this sheet, which is I think is the first sheet in your packet. I wouldn't go through it right now because it'll distract you, but, but uh, how most religions start, it's a sample of, I don't know, a dozen or so religions. Um, and you can see that, that all religions do start in fact when there's these one or two people who have this experience and then, and then get everyone else to, to roll with it. Just to give you some examples of things that you've, you're already familiar with, I'm lecturing now in a Christian country. So most of us here are very, very familiar with Christianity. And most people who have studied Christianity realize that Christianity does not begin, uh, the Christianity that we possess today does not begin with Jesus. Um, the, the, even the Catholic Church, which is the oldest of the churches today, uh, does not begin with Jesus. It begins with Paul. And the story is that Jesus, Jesus lived, Jesus died. About 35 years later, after Jesus died, he was walking alone on the road to Damascus. And walking alone on the road, suddenly, 35 years after Jesus died, he has this vision and Jesus appears to him. And Jesus tells over all the stories of, of, of the miracles that he experienced when he was alive. And Paul is so moved by this. His name actually was Shaul. He was, he was actually a Jew. Shaul is so moved by this that he converts on the spot, changes his name to Paul, goes back into the city, tells all the people that he's become a Christian and that, that Jesus is the way and if you accept Jesus, you'll be saved and tells over the stories of, of that Jesus told him and he then sits down and writes more than half the books of the New Testament, including all of the books of the New Testament that contain the miracle stories about Jesus. So it turns out that, and then those stories are passed down, those Pauline documents are passed down from about 65 CE down to about 325 CE and 325 CE, they all get gathered together at the Council of Nicaea, along with other fragments that were written based on the Pauline documents. All of those are put together into the New Testament. It's codified into the New Testament and Christianity is up and running. So it turns out that if Paul told the truth, the whole thing is true. And if Paul lied, the whole thing is a lie. Or if Paul had a trip or whatever the case is, you know, what, you know the, the, the entire credibility of the religion rests on Paul. Now that doesn't mean that Christianity is not true. It just means that the, the, the credibility of the religion is, rests on the credibility of one person. That's the key. And the same is true by Buddhism with Siddhartha Gautama, who ascends to the eighth stage of transic insight, comes to know all there is to be known, descends back into his body again, stands up, begins his 45-year uh, career as a leader and teacher, and, and, and gives over the ways of Buddhism to people. Now, if Siddhartha Gautama actually ascended and became a B-U-D-D-H-A, then in fact the whole thing is true. And if he made that up, or if he fantasized, or, or had some other sort of, of hallucinogenic experience, so then the whole thing is not true. So... It's true, it's not true. We're not really addressing that issue. What we are pointing out, though, is that the, there, there has never been somebody since Siddhartha Gautama who achieves the A stage of transic insight. There's never been anyone else who's achieved that state. By the way, before Siddhartha Gautama, there were 44 other people. 45 people actually did this before Siddhartha Gautama. They ascended also. But the thing is, they never came back down again. The only one who came back down was Siddhartha Gautama. So how do we know about the other 44? Take a wild guess. He told us. He told us. And would he lie? So it must be true. Okay, now again, I'm not, I'm not telling you that it's not true. 
What I'm pointing out though is, it's an interesting coincidence that all religions on the planet begin with this transcendental experience experienced by one or two people. What I concluded when I saw this was that one of two things is true. Either, for some reason, God is very shy, and so he only appears to one or two people at a time. Or the other possibility is that, and this is what we, we, we teach in university, the ability to maintain a conspiracy is inversely proportional to the number of people involved. So as the number of people involved climbs, the likelihood of that religion surviving drops geometrically. Um, without going into any of the heavy math, but just, I'll give you a very simple model for how this principle works. Let's say that you have one person who starts a cult. I, I start a cult, and I tell all of you I had this experience. Okay, now, there are two possible scenarios. One scenario is that throughout the rest of my life, I say to you, I swear the whole thing is true. In which case, in that first scenario, there is a chance this religion could survive. The second possibility is that somewhere along the line, I confess to you, hey, I made the whole thing up. At which point, the entire religion explodes. So, excluding psychological and sociological factors, since there are two possible scenarios and the religion can only survive in one of them, that means there's a 50-50 chance that this religion will survive, okay, with one person who's involved in founding it. Okay, now, skip to two people. Let's say you have two people. So if you have two people, there are four possible scenarios. In the first scenario, both guys say, it's true, yeah, it's true, in which case the religion survives. Second scenario, one guy says, it's true, and the other guy says, what do you mean, we just made it up in the other room a few minutes ago, in which case the religion explodes, right? Third scenario, the first guy says, ha we made it up, and the second guy says, shh, we're trying to start a religion here, in which case the religion explodes. Third scenario, both guys with arms over each other's shoulders say, ha we made it up, in which case the religion explodes. It turns out, of the four possible scenarios, when you've got two people launching a religion, only one will allow the religion to survive. Okay, the equation that we use is, the ability to maintain a conspiracy is defined by one over two to the n, where n is the number of conspirators. So therefore, if you've got three people who launch a religion, there's a one out of eight chance the thing will survive. You get four people launching a religion, there's a one out of 16 chance the religion will survive. Five people's one out of 32, et cetera. That's why you've never heard of religion that was launched when five people had a transcendental experience. Because the odds of that thing making it are infinitesimal. Okay, now, zooming back again. Every religion on the planet starts with one or two people. Not surprising. Okay, then you get to Judaism. Okay, now, Judaism starts like every other religion on the planet. You open up the Torah and it says in the beginning of the Torah, God spoke to Abraham. Sure. See how suspicious that is? One guy. A generation later, God speaks to Isaac. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure, one guy. One generation later, God speaks to Jacob. Family business. Okay? Now, this looks terrible. It really looks terrible. So when you look at Judaism, it's exactly like every other religion on the planet. The initial revelation narrative is no different, and therefore, Judaism has no more credibility than any other religion on the planet initially. <coughs> then, skip forward a few chapters. You get to a very unique scene in terms of the academic study of religions. It catches everybody's attention. It's discussed on every university campus. In the second book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, in the chapter called Yitro, there is a scene, this is the first place it appears, but then it appears over and over again throughout the book. There's a scene in which the Jews have escaped from Egypt. We have a tally. There was at least 603,000 uh, adult men between the ages of 20 and 50. 
you add up all the numbers, it turns out there, was a, there were about three million people who walked out of Egypt. They arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai, and there the text explicitly says that they heard God speak. Three million people heard God say, I'm the Lord your God, you should have no other gods before me. Moses, Moses, come up to the top of the mountain, I'm gonna give you the Torah, okay? Now that is far out. You never have a religion that starts with three people, let alone three million. All the academics, they say, okay, there's something unusual going on. Now, by the way, right after that, after God has said, I'm the Lord your God, you should know the gods before me, Moses, Moses, come up to the mountain. Moses goes up, he's up there alone, he gets the Torah, he brings it down, he says, okay, folks, this is what I got on, on top of Mount Sinai. So that looks very suspicious again. Yeah, who knows what he was doing up there, okay? But in the initial launch, You've got three million people hearing God speak. Three million people are experiencing prophecy. This is the first, I won't say the last, but it's the first mass revelation recorded in human history. Okay. Now, speaking as a university professor, I will tell you what we do in order to destroy Jewish credibility, in order to knock Judaism down to look like every other religion on the planet. Because, listen, we got a problem on the table. You don't want to face the number one over two to the three million. Yeah, the odds that this thing is a lie are like, you know, it's, it's impossible that it could be a lie. One out of two to three million, it, it looks extraordinarily credible. So then the university professor goes to work and in two seconds I will destroy Judaism. It happens very, very quickly. Here's how it works. Three million people heard God speak. Where did you get that? So you say, well, it says so in the Torah. So I said, who wrote this? She said, one person wrote that. So now we've actually gotten back to essentially the Buddhist model. In Buddhism, you've got 45 people who ascended to the eighth stage of transic insight. But how do we know that? Through one fellow. So you've got this massive event, but the whole massive event is only being passed to you through one guy. If the author of this book lied, then the whole thing is a lie. And if the author of this book told the truth, then the whole thing is true. Now, in, 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 the, in the university circles, the way that we explain where this book came from is we don't say it was one guy. There's technical problems with saying it was one guy. So if you would go to a Jewish studies department at any mainstream university, at Harvard, at Yale, at UCLA, all, any of these places, what you will hear is it was not written by one person. It was written by four people. It was written by J, E, P, and D. These are four authors. They call them by those names. You'll see in a moment why. And then it was redacted by a fifth person who mixed everything together and produced this document. J is called J because there are places in the Torah where the tetragrammaton, a four-letter name of God, is used. When they try to pronounce that four-letter name of God, Yud and He and then Vav and He, it sounds like it begins with a J. And so they call the, the, the author who, who used that name the J author. The only thing is the Torah uses many names for God. The Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name, is one of them. There's another name which you probably have heard before, Elohim. Elohim, that reference was written by the E author. So you have the J author, the E author who writes about Elohim. Then there's the P author. The P author is the one who stressed the importance of the priestly duties. And there's major sections in the book that talk just about the importance of the priests. So he was the one who, who wrote that. And then finally, you have the D author, that's the Deuteronomist who comes at the end of the book. Okay, now the problem is, modern scholars discovered the people who put this theory together were not fluent in Hebrew. 
Modern scholars discovered that, in fact, in one sentence, you can have the J name, the E name, it could be discussing priestly duties, and it could be in the book of Dvarim, of Deuteronomy. So that blows the whole theory to pieces. How could it all be in one spot if it was four different authors? So they came with this other idea that a fifth guy came and redacted the whole thing and mixed it all up, and so now you can have it all mixed together. So on university campus today, they say this is a book that was written by five people, J, E, P, and D, redacted by R. God has nothing to do with it. It's cultural history. That's the, that's the approach that's used. And now we've solved the problem. Three million people heard God speak. It's not true, they'll tell you. Three million people didn't hear God speak. It's a mythology written by five people. Okay, that's the end of the university course. This is where I step in. Okay, this is the beginning of the lecture. We're all on the same page now. What I'm about to do is, I'm about to explain, I'm going to assume that this whole thing is a lie, that this is really a mythology that, in fact, God never wrote this. And I'm going to run with that theory as far as I can until it gets into, in, into trouble. And you'll see as the, the theory starts to stumble. Let's assume that a liar or liars, a group of charismatic cult leaders, put this thing together. And they wrote up the story about the mass revelation. If that is in fact what happened, then when they told people, either handed them the book or orally explained to them, that, hey, you know, God spoke to three million people. The charismatic cult leader or leaders who told that lie had to place that event of mass revelation somewhere in human history. I'm arguing that the original lie had to take one of three forms. That is, there's only three times in human history where they could have argued that, in fact, this mass revelation took place. Again, just to clarify, I'm running with the assumption of the secular biblical critic that the book is not from God. According to him, a charismatic cult leader sold the Jews on the story. I want to go back to that moment historically when the charismatic cult leader stands up in front of a group of people and says to them, hey folks, God spoke to all the Jews at Mount Sinai. Then they say, really, when? And he gives one of the following three answers. I'll start with the simplest model. The simplest model is called the present model or the present lie. In the present lie, the charismatic cult leader says, which generation heard God speak? It was you. (laughs) All of you are sitting here today. Now, of course, we're going back to an event that it's taking place 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 years or 2,000 years ago, whenever it was. I'm the charismatic cult leader. You're the people who were around at that time. And I'm telling you, you all just heard God speak. You heard him say these words. You heard him say, I'm the Lord your God. You should know other gods before me. Moshe, Moshe, come up to the mountain. Then I went up on the mountain. I got this book. I brought it down. And I brought it down to give it to you. And I hand you the book. And you're so blown away by my charisma that you all cried in unison, amen. And the thing is up and running. Okay, now... The reason why this is called the present lie is, in this theory, which generation does he claim heard God speak? Present generation, which is why it's called present. Very simple. Okay. Okay. Let's leave the present for a moment. Let's move over to the, everyone's with me so far? Yeah. Let's move over to the past lie. In the past lie, past theory, the charismatic leader comes to a group of people and he says to them, you heard nothing because God never spoke to any of you. 
long ago, there was a great mountain called Sinai. And all of your ancestors were there. And there, God settled on the mountain and God spoke to all of your ancestors. He said, I'm the Lord your God. You should know the gods before me. Moshe, Moshe, come up to the mountain. There was a great prophet there by the name of Moses. Moses ascended. He got the Torah. He brought it down. He gave it to the Jews. They all accepted it. Judaism was up and running. And Judaism has been running. Now, if I tell you it's been running ever since then until you, you're not going to believe me. Why? It's a lie. And you know it's a lie because you say to your parents, hey, I I just came from this lecture and this guy told me that there's this religion called Judaism started by Moses and all of our ancestors were all religious Jews. Uh, Mom, Dad, I don't remember you guys being religious Jews. They say religious what? I never heard of this thing before. In which case, I sink. So therefore, if you want to argue past theory, the charismatic cult leader will not say that this tradition was passed down from Mount Sinai a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, everyone is all the way down to your family. He'll say that at Mount Sinai, all the Jews became religious and they were religious for two or three generations. But then there was a terrible, okay, now insert whatever you want, flood, assimilation, disease, war, right? The entire tradition was fumbled. They lost it. Everyone forgot about the Mount Sinai event and no one in your family has known anything about the Sinai event until today when I, Frank, have come to give you back the Torah. Then I hand you this book claiming this is your long lost heritage that has been not known by anyone in your family for a thousand or two thousand years. Then you ask, well, how did you get it? And I say, either it was passed only in my family or I say, God came to me last night and he told me the story and I'm giving it to you because he told it to me. Whatever the case is, I hand you the book and again, you're so blown away by my charisma that you all cry out in unison, amen, and the thing is up and running. Okay, so again, in present theory, the charismatic leader says which generation heard God speak? The present generation. In the past theory, the charismatic leader says which generation heard God speak? It wasn't you. It was a past generation. And you knew nothing about it until I told you about it. Okay? Everyone's with me so far? Present, past. Okay, now you know what the next one's going to be called. Okay? We go over here. The next one's called future. And in the future lie or the future theory, what happens is the charismatic cult leader comes to a group of people and he says to them, you heard nothing. And I did you hear nothing because God never spoke to you, but God never spoke to your ancestors because God has not yet spoken. Five words. But someday, all of your descendants will gather at the foot of a great mountain, Sinai. And there, there'll be a great prophet, Moses. And God will say, I'm the Lord your God. You should have known the gods before me. Moses, Moses, come up to the mountain. Moses will go up. He'll get the Torah. He'll bring it down. And I happen to have an advanced copy right here. <laughs> I then hand you the book and you're so blown away by my charisma that you all cry out in unison. Amen. Amen. And we're up and running. Okay, good. Now, understand the intellectual integrity of the argument that I just made. I'm claiming that if this book is a lie, The original lie that was told by the charismatic cult leader had to take only one of three forms. He either had to say, you all heard God speak, present theory, your ancestors heard God speak, past theory, or your descendants will hear God speak, future theory. There is no other lie he could have told because where else is he going to place that event of mass revelation besides the past, the present, and the future? Clear? Everyone's on board? Yeah? What I'm saying is so simple, you can't believe I'm actually making a point out of this. I'll show you why I'm stressing it. There are now only three possible lies that could have launched Judaism. What happens if I show you that for technical reasons, 
the future lie could never have worked. Then I would know that the lie called Judaism was launched either using the present or the past mythology. Okay. But what happens if I show you that not the future lie couldn't have worked, but the present lie couldn't have worked either? Then we'll know that the original liar told a story that was the past lie, and that's how Judaism got launched. But what happens if I show you that the past lie couldn't have worked either? If the past lie, the present lie, and the future lie, if none of these lies could have launched Judaism, then what's the other alternative? It's the truth. Right. It's the truth. And that is going to be the path that I'm about to follow. In part one of this lecture, there'll be two parts, what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out a small problem with the future lie, a small problem with the present lie, and a small problem with the past lie. When we see how difficult it would have been for any of these lies to have successfully launched Judaism, and given that these are the only lies that could have launched Judaism, think, well, there's no lie that could have launched this religion. But the religion is launched, which means it wasn't launched by a lie. Okay, that's part one. Okay, then, in part two, I'm going to drop a bomb, which, in one fell swoop, We'll take out past, present, future, and any other theory you ever hear ever in your life. In other words, any explanation for how this thing could possibly not be from God dissolves in light of the bomb, which is coming in part two. Okay, so that's the roadmap. That's what's about to happen.